Welcome to the BBC, a wax cast based on collaboration, not competition. Between Both Cheeks is a world filled with beauty, bums, and billions of bucks. The hosts of the BBC are Luba, the badass boss bitch, creator and owner of international brands and beauty salons. Becca, once newbie and now experienced enforcer, she's hatched out of her egg and manages business with authority and a smile. And Ashley, a straight, shooting, spicy Italian. Hot off the global circuit, she's got expertise to share. Welcome to the BBC. Bring me your balls. No, Kelly Clarkson! Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, I can tell you firsthand that starting a podcast was one of the best things that we have ever done. But it can be really overwhelming to start out. Where do you begin? How do you do it? All the things. So many questions, right? How do you record audio and have it just go out into the world, into people's headphones and into their cars while they're doing dishes and cleaning and out on walks? Like I I can't say I understand the technology, but I can say that I know the easiest and the best way to do it. And that's with Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is a podcast publishing platform and it's so easy to use and it can push your podcast out onto all major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, Buzzsprout can get you there. It's what we use every week. It's so freaking easy. I can't stress that enough. Like we're still learning and our audio isn't the best all the time because we use Zoom for a lot of our episodes still. But even if you guys start out with just Zoom or just sitting in your closet using the voice memo app on your phone, Buzzsprout makes it that much easier to get that content and that audio out into the world and you can start building a brand, improving your business, or just shooting the shits with your friends. <laughs> shooting the shit with your friends. I don't know if I can say that on an ad. Anyways, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, I super, 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 super encourage you to do so and go to our show notes, which is the show description, click on the link and you get to start your own podcast with Buzzsprout and you get an extra $20 Amazon gift card. It tells Buzzsprout that we've sent you and it really helps us out. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to podcast. Hello, everybody. This is the BBC Between Both Cheeks. Yes, we mean those cheeks, too. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow us on Instagram at Between Both Cheeks and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, or wherever you tune into your favorite show. Today, I have Becca the Enforcer with me. Ashley is still away with her baby. And we have a very special guest, Dana Donafri from Anna Ono. Intimates, can I say? Or is it just Anna Ono? It's Hey, both. Okay, perfect. I'm so excited to have you on because I've I've been stalking you since I was diagnosed, number one. Uh, And number two, I feel like you're like the Sarah Blakely Spanx of the intimate world for reconstruction breast surgery. So thank you so much for giving us your time today. Well, I mean, I'll I'll take that. That was like the warmest, loveliest, uh, most exciting introduction I think I've ever had. (laughs) I love you too. (laughs) Perfect. Um, So Dana, tell us a little bit about your business. First, I want to start out with, please give us your website and Instagram so people can jump on there right away and kind of see what we're talking about. Your website is beautiful. I'm shopping on it right now as we speak. Um, But please give us that and then tell us a little bit about you and, and your journey. So Ana Ono is an intimate line uh, designed differently. And that's for those of us that have undergone a breast surgery, often related to a cancer diagnosis. Uh, You can visit Ana Ono at A-N-A-O-N-O.com. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, anywhere you'd like um, at Ana Ono Intimates. So that's why you did it well done early because it can't be both. Um, but you know, the creation of Ana Ono started a lot with my own personal story. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, 11 and a half years ago in my uh, mid twenties. And, um, I just felt like I got throttled into a world that was built for a much, much older woman than myself. And, um, it just, 
felt incredibly alienating and disappointing that the world was delivering me this like patient packet. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 27 years old. I canceled my wedding. Um, I was in the best shape of my life. And I ended up like being plopped into a chemo chair in and out of surgeries and being introduced to loads and loads of incredible, lovely, beautiful people that were well into their fifties and beyond. And um, when I went shopping for my intimates and I sort of came to this world of the mastectomy boutique and left multiple, multiple dressing rooms in tears, I decided to take what I know how to do, which is make clothing. I've been a fashion designer my entire life. And I started designing intimates that would fit my new reconstructed body. And um, at first I really thought I, you know, would launch these pretty bras on Etsy and I would just like come home from work and I would sew bras when women got diagnosed with breast cancer and needed a pretty bra. And it just turned out that, you know, even though I was in complete isolation when I was diagnosed, um, there was this experience that was being had by so many people. We just weren't talking about it. And um, it blossomed from there. And, and Ana Ono has become what we are today. We've been in business for seven and a half years. Um, I like to call it boob inclusive. So if you have two boobs, one boob, no boobs or new boobs, um, we're here to support you. And, and that's really, you know, what we're all about. And um, my story, unfortunately, brought me here, but I'm here today and I'm honored to get to serve my community in such a beautiful way. Wow. Wow. Okay. That, that was a lot. That was way more than I thought. I love that you brought up the fact that you were so young when you were diagnosed. Um, I was, I just turned 40 and I remember that being very young and I remember being like in the treatment rooms and looking around and being pissed off that I was the youngest one. Um, oh, I mean, you must have felt like that. I mean, that was, you, you, you were mid twenties. I was 40. Um, can may I ask what type of breast cancer you were diagnosed with? Yes, yeah, so I was diagnosed with um, HER2 positive, uh, ER positive breast cancer. I uh, did catch it early at stage one, but it was aggressively growing. I think every test I had until the removal of my breasts, um, it was almost doubling in size, which was really outrageous. And um, I underwent six rounds of chemotherapy, a bilateral mastectomy, I had implant reconstruction a year of Herceptin, uh, which is a targeted therapy for her too. And I was on hormonal suppressing drugs for eight and a half years. So it's was a huge chunk, almost, a, well, I can say literally at this point, a quarter of my life has been committed to my cancer treatment. And that's, you know, really outrageous to, to think that way. How did you come up with the name? What does Anna Ono mean? <laughs> I love that you asked that, Becca. Thank you for asking so early. So my name is Dana Donifree. So Anna Ono came from my name, but without the double Ds. Oh, cute. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> that makes so much sense. That's so, why is that not somewhere on your website? <laughs> it should be. That is it's so a- good. Well, the, the back end of that joke is anytime I told that to uh, my friends that have known me my whole life, I was like a bee sting on a good day before my, uh, my amputation. So I was like, the, my friends are like, oh, Dana, that's really cute. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. That's so good. I love that. I love that. Um, so tell us, I mean, you were literally doing sewing by yourself, selling on Etsy, and now you're this amazing success. You've been featured in tons of publications. I went to one of the webinars that you put on with business loans for QuickBooks, um, your guest speaker. How did you make that transition? You know, uh, great question. I, I have to say, and in, in so many ways, I, I'm a fashion designer down to my core. And I, I can say that I, I literally started making clothing when I was eight and hustling and peddling that to my, my friends and family and anybody that would give me money for anything that I made. And, um, and so a lot of what I'm doing today is, is so natural um, to who I am as a human. And I'm just really, really fortunate to say that like, I did fall into one of those worlds where like, I literally have done what I've loved my entire life. Mm-hmm. And 
the cancer diagnosis in so many ways did give me this gift that in my dream that, you know, I always wanted to have my own fashion line. There was never, ever a question in my life if I was going to have my own business. I just didn't know what I was going to do to get there or what idea I was going to actually mm-hmm. end up running with. Like there was always a million side projects. There was always a million things going on, but I never really kind of like landed on like, what was the Dana brand that was going to mm-hmm. like go out into the world. And after I got diagnosed with cancer and I started on this intimate um, path forward. And once I realized that it wasn't just my problem, it was the problem of so many of us um, being treated and surviving the disease was this weird, you know, conglomerate of like just all of the right things coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a fashion industry uh, expert in a lot of ways, when I started my business, it's, it's, I love giving back in that way. I think that something that has shielded me from a lot of disruption is that the fashion industry actually does have strong female presence um, mm-hmm. as a role model. Donna Karen, Diane von Furstenberg, Betsy Johnson, Chanel, the list goes on and on and on for us. So I never had it in my mind that like I couldn't start a business because I was a woman mm-hmm. or I wouldn't be successful because I was a woman. Um, I think it became more so like, can a cancer patient start and run a business? Um, that became more of my fear than like being a woman in business. And, mm-hmm. and as I grow and the business grows, it's, I love giving back. I love giving back to female and minority business owners. Like I know how hard it is to get people to listen to you and how to actually gain the traction. Like starting the business was the first glass ceiling I had ever been presented in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So that to me was, you know, where and why I like advocate both for breast cancer, but also for women in business specifically. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Pink Warrior, because is that your charity of choice? So Pink Warrior Advocates, uh, yeah, has been an awesome, awesome partner of ours for many, many years. I actually met Jen. Funny story. When I started Ana Ono uh, back in 2013, we officially launched in 2014, like the, the pathway forward, like we have to like go back in the hands of time. Like people were not shopping on the internet right? Mm -hmm. Not as much. Yeah. There, there was barely a brand on the internet that wasn't Nordstrom. Right. And like Amazon was still selling books. Wow. (laughs) So we like wind those heels of like the the wheels of time backwards. It was like, there was Facebook, like Instagram was literally people taking pictures and posting on Instagram. Like, you know, it was, it was just such a different time. And the, the path forward to letting people know that you existed was like, first you reach out to the bloggers and then mm-hmm. the bloggers talk about your product. And then after the bloggers are talking about your product, then the, the media is like, Ooh, what are all these bloggers talking about? And then the media wants to talk about, it. and it was like this very strategic way that you kind of entered into the digital world. And so I was reaching out to a lot of lingerie bloggers telling them that I had just like reinvented the bra for women with breast reconstruction. I was the first one to do it. And then it dawned on me. I was like, Oh, maybe I should be looking for breast cancer bloggers. And there really weren't a lot out there. And I came across this blog called my bald blog. And it was Jen's uh, story of her cancer diagnosis. And I started following along with it and um, getting the emails. And I, I finally just had the guts to reach out to her and, when she tells this story, it's actually funnier because I guess I just must have sent an email and I wish I could find it. But I was like, hey, I started a bra line. Can I send you one? That's or awesome. No, hey, I started a bra line. Can you talk about it? And she's like, uh, dude, you're going to have to send me a bra. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, great idea. <laughs> I'm looking this up right now. Yeah. And- so go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we became fast friends from there. We met, we actually met in real life at the Young Survival Coalition. It was like the first time I had had a table for Ana Ono and was meeting with young breast cancer patients and survivors. And, and then she created um, Pink Warrior Advocates. And, and what's great about being able to partner with her is that, you know, we really get to provide assistance to those that are in financial need. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because we all know cancer is expensive. And you need a lot of alternative things to 
survive it. And these alternative costs really start to add up. So it's just our, you know, one little way that we decide to give back. Mm-hmm. I, I love, love that. that. And then just for people listening, when you go onto the website, you can actually make a donation with your purchase directly to the charity. So mm-hmm. I love that that's set up so easily. That way it's very seamless. Yeah. It's perfect. You have to teach us how to do that. <laughs> I was going to say. For <laughs> <Yeah>, sure. <laughs> That'd be so great. Yeah, we'll, we'll offline. We'll offline about those tactics. <laughs> right. It took, yeah. it took longer than we expected. Right. It always does. It always looks does. crazy, but... Um, Dana, did you, you, did you work through like, obviously what you did because your, your treatment was so long, even like after the fact with medication and stuff. So what was it like running a business? I know you mentioned that you were scared on what this was going to look like, but do you feel it kind of like pushed you forward and motivated you and gave you a reason to just keep going? Yeah. You know, I, I was 28 years old when I was going through my treatment. So like I never stopped working. I mean, when you're in your twenties, like I didn't have a pot to piss in, you know? So it's like, if I didn't collect my paycheck, I wasn't going to be able to pay for my car or pay for my rent or pay for my groceries. So I kind of never stopped. And then when I started thinking about the business, it became two jobs. It became my Mm full-time job. And then it became my part-time job doing my business. And a lot of ways, like when I decided to walk away from my career, which which really uh, I'm fortunate that that's what funded me starting my business was my salary. Um, I was able to, you know, funnel that money, uh, take all of my extra money, put it into the business, start growing the business. But once I finally decided to step away from my full time gig and jump all the way into Ana Ono, I was living in a place because this is now just a few years after my diagnosis. I mean, this is like three years after my diagnosis. So it's still very early on. And the thing I could just say to myself was like, I might die. Like I might actually die. Mm -hmm. So fuck it. Why not just try it? You know, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I die or I go out of business. Like both of those things don't suck. Or I mean, both those things suck equally, you know? So it was, um, I think a lot of people stop because of the fear factor and when you, you know, or that self-doubt, but when you know, you've Mm -hmm. really only got one life to live, it helps taking that leap a little bit faster. Yeah. Everything gets put into perspective. Mm -hmm. So Dana, I just took a look at your website and it is beautiful. And I see that your bras are priced like mid to high range because they are custom and I imagine they last for a long time. Do you have any pushback or did you in the beginning selling products that could be expensive to cancer patients or just creating a product and marking it to cancer patients in general? Did you have any pushback about that? We, uh, let me just tell you, starting a business period, starting a business in the cancer space, we get nothing but pushback um, constantly. And I think that there's, there's twofold here. Um, one is, you know, we're, we're really in the middle range of, of bra pricing. Mm-hmm. It's quite reasonable um, and respectable. Uh, are there $19 bras and in, in mass market, uh, you know, stores? Yeah, they are. They're made in, you know, low grade factories in Mm -hmm. other countries that treat humans poorly and Mm -hmm. use crappy materials and you wash them twice and they're in the trash. So by the time you buy, you know, five of those crappy bras, you could have had one really beautiful bra that's going to last you, you know, many, many years. But, you know, the reality is, is like, I, I have been making product for my entire life and I believe in treating people correctly. I believe in Mm -hmm. social responsibility and I believe in like quality product that is sustainable for our planet. Mm -hmm. So having all of those things, right. Put you into a different quality level, not just because I was serving cancer patients and all of these things actually mean something to me, both as a patient and as a human, but also because, you know, we do, uh, we have the fast fashion world and Mm -hmm. like I could talk for hours about industry and and how wrong the industry has gone over like my experience in the last two decades. But, you know, there, there is this sort of replenishable trashy sort of like disposable concept behind your clothing. And I didn't want that for this. I really wanted 
something that was going to be sustainable and last well beyond a surgery. Um, so like, for instance, our loungewear line mm. is made out of a beautiful, sustainable modal material. It comes from Spain. It's created from a beech tree. So every time a beech tree is harvested to create the textile, one is replanted in its place. I use socially responsible factories that treat their employees well, give them benefits, give them health insurance, employ almost 98% women. You know, all of these things are very important to me in my supply chain. But like, I just kept getting delivered. And the reason behind all of this is actually deeper than just like us as a business or us as a product. The amount of trash mm-hmm. and junk I received when I was diagnosed with breast cancer yeah. is almost embarrassing to say, yes. like so much trash, so much junk. And I just, you know, there are companies out there that make a product that's used for like a very select amount of time, two weeks, three weeks, something like that. The prices are outrageous for what they're making. And that patient only uses it for one or two weeks that they need it. Mm-hmm. So like, that's why, like, even with our loungewear, like we have the drain management system in it for post-surgery recovery, but then I'm like, take the drain management belt out and you still have a beautiful robe. You still have a beautiful romper. You still have a beautiful pair of pants. That whole mm-hmm. garment does not go into the trash because you no longer need it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that whole product life cycle means a lot to me as, as who I am from a sustainability perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of the expense is that what most patients actually don't know or, or have an understanding is that health insurance covers your mastectomy bras after your surgery. And that's from the date mm-hmm. of your mastectomy and your cancer diagnosis all the way through the rest of your life. Wow. So, which is like, why are medical professionals not telling us this? I blows my mind could be another segment. Yes, yes, it should be. (laughs) But as I continue to, you know, push forward and educate and inform, you know, that's a huge benefit to somebody who does have cancer that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. in every aspect of their care, but wigs are covered, Mm -hmm. breast forms are covered, mastectomy and post-surgical garments are covered. So there's a lot of ways that you can leverage your benefits through your health insurance provider, including Medicare and Medicaid, actually, and received, you know, receive the things that you need for your out of pocket or your deductible prices, which do which does really help a newly diagnosed patient. Mm-hmm. No kidding. No kidding. What I love about your brand as well, and, and you touched on it where you can remove drains and stuff like that is like when I was diagnosed, I just wanted to feel normal. And I think we're handed so much garbage and crap on that. It's like flashing that you're a cancer patient Mm -hmm. and like, that's the last thing that you want to feel. You just, you don't want to be treated differently. You want to feel normal. You want to come from a place of like everyone else. And why is everything so, I don't want to say the word catered, but delivered in a way of like, let me help you. (laughs) It's why there will not be a single pink ribbon on my products ever. You know, I felt like when I was designing the brand and the logos and the experience, it was like, I already needed a different bra. I didn't need that bra to remind me that I had breast cancer because yeah, I was like seeking like, why, why am I now so different? Mm -hmm. Right? Like why was me shopping for intimates, this beautiful, sexy, intimate experience. And now I have breast cancer and now it's like, go to this store with the brown walls yeah. and the be- the beige bras and you know the cold environment with no windows that's just like racks and racks of bras like yeah. now why did i leave something that was beautiful and like sexy Flashy. and enter into something medical yeah for sure uh, becca are you going to say something i didn't want to cut you off no i'm oh, okay. i'm just that was a beautiful answer yeah have you thought about doing a storefront? Would you ever do like a pop-up or a storefront or do you want to just strictly be online? Cause I, oh, I, I take, I take that from your, you know, idea of having a beautiful space in the dressing rooms. And so I just envision that. Oh, it's like on my, my, my vision board okay. is to provide like a beautiful experience for the community. Like Yes, it's about the bras, but it's also about the community and how we love ourselves and how we empower ourselves. And like, 
I, we actually, I actually have it drawn. I actually work with an architect, like my dream, my dream store. And I continue to manifest it. And what's interesting is, um, you know, the industry itself is going through a lot of shifting and changing. Um, mastectomy has been around for you know, 40 plus years and uh, the opportunity to have this coverage through the health insurance benefits sort of created like one revenue channel um, to support cancer patients. And that was often housed in this world that we call durable medical equipment. And that is why there's such a struggle here, but there, there's sort of also this generational shift throughout um, breast cancer care. There's also a societal shift throughout breast cancer care, whereas like breast reconstruction hasn't, wasn't really available to patients in like the 60s and 70s and arguably the 80s, unless you were affluent enough to pay for it out of your own right. pocket. Right. Um, and, and when the act came in at 1999, I mean, we're thinking like breast reconstruction has been available to anybody diagnosed for 20 years sounds like a long time, except for that it's actually not really that long in medical speak, because people have to get trained, they have to learn, they have to get licensed, they have to learn the techniques, you know, so like these things take years and years and years to build up this level of expertise. And we're just now seeing, I believe, a shift in reconstructive surgery that like wasn't even present when I was diagnosed. Um, I was diagnosed in Denver, Colorado, I think I had two plastic surgeons I could meet with, neither one of them performed flap surgeries. And that was only a decade ago. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, a lot has changed and I, and I get excited about that because, you know, my dream is that we stop amputating breasts in order yeah. to save a life. Like, yeah. let's keep a sexual organ if we're so allowed and let's treat the cancer. Like, let's not have to actually mm. remove body parts right. in order for us to keep living our lives. I mean, that's, that's to me, my, my dream and my expectation of what I hope to get to see in my lifetime, but you know, maybe we'll get there. Maybe we won't. That's really beautiful. I never, I never thought about it that way. That's really amazing. Um, you talked about manifestation and vision boards and, and things like that. And I know one of the things when, you know, anyone gets diagnosed with any type of bad news, not just breast cancer, um, is to really kind of have a positive mindset to get yourself through the treatment and therapy. Do you have any advice to newly diagnosed cancer warriors? I, I do believe in mind over matter. I really do. If it sounds frou-frou and it sounds like, you know, too out there, but, but there are tests and studies that say your mindset can, can really impact, you know, uh, in part, my cancer was considered environmental, but like, I also was bearing really, really living an incredibly high stress life, um, as a New York city fashion designer and living in that pressure tank and working all the time. And, you know, I remember going to a doctor once because my stomach was so messed up and them asking me, you know, what's your, what's your stress level from one to 10. And I was like 11 and he goes, that's not a choice. And I said, exactly. Like, 10 doesn't do it for me. Like I'm living on an 11, like 99% of the time of my life. Uh -huh. And, you know, I think that like going into cancer, you have to want to be the strongest that you can be. You have to want to be um, present as much as you can be, even though like, I'm not saying this because I went to bed every night smiling. I actually probably did it. Um, you know, I've had more tears and more anger and more fear than happiness and hope and joy. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like you have to balance it, you know? So it's like, if your mind tells you, you can do this and you wake up every morning, just saying, get out of bed, you can do this. Like that's the first step of the day. And you have to give yourself that because like that dark place is very, very easy to crawl into. It's yeah. like the simplest, easiest place to be. It takes work to yeah. get out of that dark place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things my oncologist said was, we don't know where breast cancer comes from, right? People will tell you all sorts of things. Like it could be your diet. It could be that, you know, you didn't have any children. It could be that you chose not to breastfeed, but you had children. You live too close to the power lines. Like there's all this stuff mm -hmm. of what it could be. Um, and then not carrying a gene. I don't know if, if you carried the gene or not. Uh, I do not. Okay. So I, I was the same. Um, 
my chemo brain kicked in. Hold on. I had a note. Where was this going? Uh, Anna, do you have chemo oh. brain still? Oh, all the time. Like, it, I don't, is it ever going to go away? I talked to Jen Rosenbaum and she's like, it's never going to go away. I don't, here's what I think about chemo brain. I have not experienced it going away. I have experienced it at lightning slightly, but I've learned my ways to work around my chemo brain. Mm. Great. Next, I've learned my own tricks. <laughs> yes. Please teach me all of them. Oh my god! I feel like I play charades all the time. Like I just can't. Get up. But I did have a note here, so I do remember. Um, so you don't carry the gene. I don't carry the gene. All these things on, like where you, it could possibly come from. Do you feel that your breast cancer possibly came from stress and the life that you lived? I. I do not hop on the patient blaming train. I feel like it's not a, a helpful, healthy place for me to live. Mm. Um, I can say that I was 27 years old. I did a lot of bad things. I was on birth control. I smoked, I drank, but I also exercised mm. multiple hours a day. I was 27. I lived a stressful life. How much damage could have I really done? Right. And a very small amount of time of my life. Yeah. And I think because humans want answers, we want something to point at that it's very easy to say, like, well, you were stressed or you smoked or you ate meat and yeah. you had cheese. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the counter side is there are multiple, like, master yogis yeah that have been vegan for 40 years of their life and still end up with breast cancer right right so there are tons of test subjects that were the perfect pillar of health mm -hmm. that also got breast cancer mm -hmm. and i think that what in some ways like the the guilt that the patient blame story gives puts the guilt only on the person dealing with the cancer yeah. Yeah. i could have quit smoking sooner. I could have eaten less meat. I could like, but you can't because there is no prediction in right. this, this, this Petri dish of cancer. I mean, what we do know is that we all have cancer cells dormant in our bodies. We activate them some way, shape or form. And what has been messed up because of our environment in so many ways, like it's natural that cancer happens late in late stages of life because that's how our human system works. What isn't natural is when it's happening to young people. Yeah. So that's when, you know, us as a society have to say, what is going on? You know, I think that there's a bigger question to say, why are so many young women getting breast cancer? Mm -hmm. Like we do need to know that answer. Yeah. We don't even know why one in three patients metastasize. Right. We don't know. They do not know why the cancer metastasizes in some and not in others. So that like to me is proof right there that we don't really have the answers yet to why cancer happens yeah. or, you know, what, what's really behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I didn't ask you at the beginning is because you were quite, you were very young. Um, how did you find it? Because this wouldn't have been in a routine um, checkup. Uh, yeah. I mean, I lived a life like, Hey, if you feel something, say something like I expected my partner to do enough movie touching that. Like if a lump ever presented itself in my life, like somebody else would be the one to tell me, Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, those were the good days. <laughs> you were in your twenties. <laughs> I was just going to say, yes. <laughs> you know, Hey, while you're at it. Um, but no, I had a, I had a pimple in my armpit actually. And I just was like in the shower and I, and I went to go like, say to myself, like, oh, is that pimple still there? And when I went to go look in the, with the pimple, my wrist rubbed up against like the really top part of my breast tissue. So like my lump was actually in my armpit. Mm. And I was just like, oh, that's like really weird. Like I didn't feel that before, but I am prone to like cystic ingrown hairs. So I thought, oh, like maybe it's just like an armpit hair that like is like a little bit of a cyst, but like, I couldn't really see like, you know, this is gross, but like, I couldn't like see like a head on it or anything. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, and it's not really like in my hairline. So I was just like, oh, this is a little bit bizarre. Um, and my little sister who's four years younger than me. And then my best friend uh, had just both 
like within weeks of each other made appointments to their doctors because they had felt lumps in their breasts. And this is like the very early phase of the dense breast tissue conversation coming out. Mm -hmm. So we weren't really even talking about this yet. So they both went to their gynos and both the gynos had said, oh, well, this is, um, you're young. So you have dense breast tissue. And then they were sent home and it's like, oh, I'm probably just also like going to be told I have dense breast tissue. And that's what this feels like. Um, that just didn't happen to be my story. So, and that world of cosmic belief, you know, somehow those two very, very close people put it on my radar because in all honesty, like I would have never gone to the doctor for this tiny little PC, like lump in my armpit. I just, it wouldn't have even dawned on me. Like I didn't know anything about breast cancer. Yeah. Wow. Did it hurt when you felt around like a, an ingrown hair kind of can, or was it just a lump? It just, it really, it, I had no sensation. I had no pain. It just literally felt like there was a pee right underneath my skin. Just a bit and it was just, yeah, it, it was kind of hard, but kind of squishy. Yeah. It, um, there was no redness. There was no, any other, you know, no other sign except for that. It just was something that I didn't think was there before. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and I, I worked so much, uh, if you guys haven't <laughs> leaned into that theme yet, but, um, I had, a, I scheduled my appointment and my company called me away for a meeting in Atlanta, Georgia. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll schedule my doctor, reschedule my appointment. Again, I'm thinking nothing's wrong. And when I called to reschedule, they said, well, the doctor's not available, but you can see uh, the nurse practitioner, which was also a very new thing. So like, it was kind of this like, oh, do you just want to see the nurse? But even though we know that that's not what MPs are today, that's sort of what the premise was when they were first coming into practice. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll see the nurse. Like not a big deal. Again, like, I feel like I'm being like super cautious that I'm even going to the doctor in the first place. I'm like super healthy. I'm like, doing pushups every day. I'm about to get married. I've got like a borderline six pack, you know, like this isn't, this isn't, this isn't the picture of what happens to cancer. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, and I, I say every day that that woman saved my life because she was probably in her mid to late thirties. Um, she was very close, you know, from an age perspective. And she just said, she goes, listen, it's probably nothing, but if I was you and this lump was in my body, I would want to know definitively that it's nothing. And she's really the one that, you know, sent me out for that first test. And I, like, I know deep down in my soul that if I had seen my aging 60 plus gyno at 27 years old, he would have told me to go home and wait and let me know if it, if it got any bigger. I just, I just know it. And I'm, I'm thankful that like the progression of the things that happened happened in that way. Wow. Wow. Dana, what is dense breast tissue? So dense breast tissue is a bit of a term that they've given to mostly young women. Although you can be older, you could be in your forties and fifties and still have dense breast tissue, but breast tissue is just different. Like one, like, and it's really defined by the mammography machine. Mm -hmm. So mammography is our, is our only like medical screening tool for breast cancer, which again, could be in a whole other episode. I won't go down that rabbit hole, but it's piss poor at best. Let's just put it that way. But in the mammography machine, they can't see through dense breast tissue. So the whole breast is like lighting up inside the machine because it can't see the denseness of a tumor beyond the, 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 the mm-hmm. dense breast tissue. So it's just like a thicker, more uh, literally dense tissue that doesn't get screened in the same way. That's kind of like the layman's way to explain it. Um, but it could feel like when you're feeling your breasts, like they may not feel so smooth. They might feel just a little bit gritty mm-hmm. yeah, and a yeah. little bit lumpy. And so you've really got to kind of like when you are doing a self-breast exam, really dig your fingers into that tissue to kind of present any sort of um, abnormality in a certain way. That's why too, Becca, they're really, and I don't know what what treatment is like in the US because obviously I had all my treatment done in Canada but that's mm-hmm. why they're advocating for no mammograms but ultrasounds to be done because it's Correct. missed so often in a mammogram so that's why they're saying oh. we want to just do ultrasounds on everything 
So, and so I, was- I had an ultrasound first. Yeah, same, because she didn't want me to put like go through the trauma of a mammogram if I didn't need to. But by the time the ultrasound did not produce uh, a good result and the mammogram machine was next, because that's really, really the mammogram machine should be a diagnostic tool, not a detection tool. Right, that's right. It's a very different thing, very different thing. So as a diagnostic tool, the lump was so high in my arm, they had to bring me into my mammogram three different times because they could not get my dense breast tissue, first of all, into the machine. And secondly, it was so high. They were like really ripping my tissue to the front just to slide it into the pancake oh my God. in order to be able to, you know, even get a good reading on that, that part of my breast. Scary. Yeah. So scary. Um, I want to know your favorite items in your line. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is tricky because in all fairness, I do not produce anything I don't love. I love that. Okay. <laughs> but if you good, bad, pick, good, bad, or indifferent, good, right? bad, or indifferent. Okay. Um, I, well, I'm, I'm a, my best wear tester, right? I'm the fit. I'm the fitter. I'm the wear tester. I'm all of these things. I have to tell you my favorite, favorite bra right now is the Naya. Okay. It, uh, I just launched it a few months ago and Ooh. it is like this beautiful, like yoga crisscross mm-hmm. bra with this very sexy crisscross back. Um, it doesn't look like much on the computer screen, um, which is in part, part of our problem but you put it on your body and like, I have been known to like wear it for days on end. And I literally stocked up. <laughs> like I took like six of them just because I, I, I can, I wear it every day. I mean, I really love it. It's I sleep in it. Um, I've done yoga in it. I rode my Peloton on in it. I mean, everything. I just, it's so comfortable. It feels like you're wearing nothing. And that's usually my goal is to feel like you're wearing wow. nothing. Adding to um, cart right now. Yeah. <laughs> Add to cart. Is there any meaning Check. behind the names? They're all like women's names. Mm. Those after people or are they just names that you think sound pretty? No. So all of our bras are named after um, somebody who's either modeled it or worn it or has made an impact on me some way, shape or form. Mm. Um, so we have uh all sorts of namesakes throughout the entire mm-hmm. collection. But um, I, I really found it to be just a beautiful way in, in sharing the stories of what we've all been through. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it's like creating a business. You have all of these ideas, all of these concepts that I was like going to name, like, you know, brawls after different collections of warriors. And, you know, I had sort of all of these like brandable moments that I was thinking of. And, and we were at our first photo shoot ever. And I had looked over at my associate and we were still like, we were still at launch. It was like our launch photo shoot. And I was just like, oh my God, I have five bras. I have five models. And I was like, I was like, I'm going to ask them all if I can name the bras after them. Cause like they can be a part of this story too. And that like, that has just like lived on throughout the years. And, and it's really beautiful. Cause like I smile every time, like I'm like thinking of Naya as I'm sharing yeah. the, story of the bra as well. And Naya is a tap dancer and she has one breast removed and she just has such a beautiful, impactful story that's so inspir- like inspirational and inspiring. And, and I know that about her. And it's also why I may also love the bra so much. I don't know, but um, I love being able to share in that with the community and, and be able to bring some of those stories um, to life in a different way. Your photos on your website, um, Instagram, like all the photos that you do are so beautiful and so real. It's so well done, Dana. Like it's really incredible. Well, thank you very much. I, I say to, I say often, I actually don't do any of that. Like that is the magic and the beauty that comes out of each of these models. It's, it's part of the magic in a weird way. Like I, I just remember like my first photo shoot, I remember having my eyebrows drawn back on for the first time, like putting on false eyelashes and like seeing what a human looked like again, I just felt so destroyed. I felt so broken. And, um, and I get to share that, like, that's an experience for the patient on the other side. And the survivor is like, sometimes that's, you know, I'm, I'm asking 
average everyday people to like come take their clothes off in yeah. front of a camera. Yeah. It's not easy. No. I mean, I haven't done it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this, um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and what I love is like that moment actually shines through. Mm-hmm. It shines through yeah. the photos. It shines through the storytelling. And, and I, I don't know how it all happens, but it, but it does. Yeah. All comes together. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so well done. I love it. Thank you. Are the models um, cancer survivors or thrivers or are they models or are they people on the street that you liked the look of? For me, when I started on Ono, one of the biggest slaps in my face was when I was looking for mastectomy bras because that's what the doctor told me to look for. And I was being delivered like beautiful models with healthy breasts, Mm. natural cleavage, Mm -hmm. and then like being told that this was a bra that fit somebody with no boobs. And I was thinking to myself, well, this feels a little wrong. (laughs) And I just like, I didn't understand why they were trying to talk to me, but yet not understanding at all what kind of position and place I was in. And so like that is like in the DNA of, of what I built with Ana Ono was like, I was like, if I'm going to tell somebody that this bra works for a person that has no breasts at all and is living with aesthetic flat closure or flat and fabulous, they need to see what the bra looks like on a flat body. Like I can't show a bra with two breasts. If I'm like, you don't have any breasts and you want to live your life flat. Like that doesn't feel fair to me. So, you know, everybody that's represented is a you know, from pre-viver to thriver, all different stages, all different types of cancers, all of the breast surgeries. So if I talk about a breast surgery, that, that model that you see, that person that you see is, is living with that breast surgery that we're talking about, because to me, that's authentic, but like authentic in a totally different level, right? Like that's about saying like, Hey, I have something for the challenges that you face or the the way that your body is different, but let's look at it that way. You know, let's look at what a bra looks like on a person with just one breast Mm -hmm. Um, and, and see, you know, is that, is that the kind of shape and size and fit that you want? It may or may not be. Um, But I think it's only fair to show it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find the models then? Oh, wow. Well, uh, I'm very lucky that nowadays they find us, but, um, but no, we, we do, uh, we have a, a model application on our website because I, uh, I love that part. Uh, we're, we're very lucky that, you know, the community supports and wants to engage in, in what we're doing. So, I mean, I have hundreds of patients on our uh, list and I, I, because of COVID, we've been stuck on the East coast for two years. So like, I'm just like jonesing to get out to the West coast. I'm jonesing to get to Canada. Yes. Anytime (laughs) we're here. Because there's so many beautiful people all around this world. And and I'm very lucky to, you know, get to uh, source in that way, because I think it's about storytelling. But Mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, like my first initiative is always uh, boob inclusivity. So I look at everybody's different surgeries. What surgeries have they had? Um, if we're looking for flap surgeries, we pull only the people that have flap surgeries. If we're looking for, you know, flat or uniboob or implants, it's just, you know, all of that is how we start. And then from there, we kind of see who's around and, you know, what do they do and, you know, where they're at and all of that good stuff. And, you know, are they stage one? Are they a pre-viber? Are they stage four? Like this all matters to us when we're, you know, when we're building our storyline, because, having all of those conversations is important to us as a community. So amazing. I love that. Now, my last question, Dana, I noticed that you said pre-viver and I know about the term cancer thriver. I'm assuming pre-viver is before they go through their treatment. Do you have a preference on verbiage as far as like cancer warrior, cancer survivor, cancer patient, or do you prefer cancer thriver? Well, the pre-viver term had been coined by um, a portion of the community that has a genetic mutation and has undergone a preemptive amputation of the breast in order to not develop breast cancer later on. So um, in in my book, you know, I wish we all had that glass ball, right? If somebody told me at 26, you're going to have breast cancer next year. And the way that you don't have breast cancer is you remove your tits. I'd be like, sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it doesn't mean that the fear has gone away. It doesn't mean that the scare mm -hmm. is gone. It doesn't mean that you are scot-free for the rest of your life, but it gives yeah. you a different sort of chance, right? Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, then we have warriors and we have the word survivor. And we have metaviver and we have thriver and there's, you know, all of these different coins to the term. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't necessarily always reference myself as a survivor. And, and now I'm kind of put in this interesting place because I've been living, you know, with breast cancer now for 11 and a half years. So much of that was me being a patient. And so I would really say like, I'm not a survivor. I'm a patient. Like every day of my life is me as a patient, I'm taking medicine to keep cancer away. You know, I'm doing all of these things, but now being at 10 years, you know, I, I don't know what I would call myself. Like I don't lean into like necessarily the word survivor, but being 10 years out, I can relate to that word more now than what I could when I was in the thick of it. Yeah. Um, when I was in the thick of it, the, when people were like, but you're a breast cancer survivor. I'm like, no, I'm not. The cancer yeah. can come back anytime. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anytime the doc told me five years and I'm on year three. So bitch, I got some time to wait. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is not, this is not, but there is this weird way that like the world, you know, the, the, the world and the marketing that has gone around breast cancer and around and around and around. It's like, you know, people understand what the word survivor means. Um, so I, I don't know if I have a word for myself anymore. Um, and that's a really strange place to be in. I have to say honestly and openly. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I hated it when people called me a survivor, like I really like, especially being in the thick of it. Like I hated that word so much, like, no, but, it, and it's weird. Cause now I feel like a little more okay with it. So it is, it's a very weird place to be. And like, what is that answer? I'm not, I'm not sure. And I think it's a, I think it's a progression. Yeah. I think that, um, we progress through so much of, of this as a part of the story, right? Like we're allowed to be angry in certain moments. We're allowed to be hopeful. We're allowed to be fearful and we're allowed to be happy and celebrate. So like you go through a lot of emotions as you're on uh, sort of this cancer <laughs> treadmill of sorts. And you just got to like live each one of them for the moment that they are and then move on to the next phase of your life, whatever it's going to be. You know, if the next phase is anger, then just lean into the anger, be pissed off about it. Like there's not a moment I've celebrated my cancer diagnosis. Like yeah. it's not something that brings me joy, you know? So. Yeah. Amazing. You are such an inspiration. I am so grateful that you took the time to be on this little podcast with us. Thank you so much. Please tell everyone all of the social media handles, website, everything on where they can find you one last time. So you can find Ana Ono at anaono.com. You can follow us on all the socials at Ana Ono Intimates. And if you'd like to follow along with my cancer slash entrepreneurial uh, spirit, uh, you can follow me at D-A-Y-N-A-D-O-N-O -O, um, on Instagram. And that's another story for another day why my name is spelled incorrectly, but <laughs> I can't wait. No I can't do for part two. <laughs> Amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us, Becca. Where can they find us and listen to us? You can listen to this podcast anywhere you find podcasts. So Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, just search between both cheeks and it will come up. You can watch the video versions on YouTube. If you search between both cheeks, they'll be there. They are posted to the Wax Hair Removal Bar channel. If you want to follow us on TikTok or Instagram, we are at Between Both Cheeks Podcast. And if you want to write us an email and get in touch, our email is comments at betweenbothcheeks.com. Thank you and good night. <laughs>